0: It's just me this week for another mental health podcast. A podcast that is going to be very, very football orientated today. It's going to be a lovely mix of football and mental health. We are going to talk about sports psychology. And I'm going to be joined in a minute by James Claffey, a sports psychologist working with Cove Ramblers and working with Nafina. And he's coming on to chat with me about sports psychology and how we can relate that down to... The amateur game and how it's applicable to everybody so first before we get started whatever you're listening to us on be it iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, whatever other mediums you're listening to us on even if you give us the five stars like subscribe share if you're on our Twitter at Mixer Podcast give us a retweet or a like on the episode it really does help a lot and if you're on our Instagram comment interact tag us and on facebook as well not really that on facebook we're working on it but get in touch interact like share it really really helps and if you enjoy the episode leave a comment send us a message if you'd like to come on to one of the mental health episodes do get in touch have a chat with us it's no harm we can do it over the phone and make life a bit easier so i'm going to move on and i'm going to jump into the interview with james i hope you enjoy well, so first of all, I'd like to thank you for coming on to the show and for taking time out to have a chat with us. we I've actually read a lot about you on The Independent. Um, I had a creep on your LinkedIn. <laughs> I was looking on your Twitter. And <laughs> I listened to the podcast you've done with Dan Abrahams as well, which I really enjoyed. So just to introduce, this is James Claffey. So, James, tell us a little bit about yourself and... Why you love sport?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose, look, I've I've always had an interest in sport and I played soccer from a fairly young age. I would have been involved with St. Pat's. Uh, underage shut up and went to college in Waterford then and um, so would have played with the under 21s down there and came back for the summer summer football at that stage as well and signed for Pat's under 21s but that, that part came with a difficult uh, decision to make and that was basically that I was informed that I wouldn't be getting taken on to the senior team and um, so I had a real look at things and decided look not good enough to play at that level and I had no interest in going maybe at the other levels at that stage I decided to go to college study coach and study sports coach and study sports management and try to get some background in that to become maybe a better coach and it was only in the second year of college then that I kind of stumbled across sports psychology as a subject and ended up going to do a master's in that then after it so um, yeah it's a long involvement in sports and um, and then, obviously, the involvement for what, what you might have heard previously with the likes of Nick on, on the podcast. Um, I was coaching with and would have played with Nick um, at Terenor as well. Had a successful enough spell there in the Premier Division. Had a very good team, one not one season, and uh, won the treble. So I was very good with that. And um, then moved to Cork and um, would have been, in that time, welcome to my alley, on a one-to-one basis, maybe, from uh, promising people who are, had ambitions to go to the Olympics, some people who would have went to the Olympics, so cards, athletes, etc. And then also working with one-to-one athletes from soccer, Gaelic, hurling, rugby as well. So, And and only maybe in the last two to three years I would have done uh, work with companies like Google, Air, and etc. So big companies in terms of performance psychology, uh, which has grown bigger and bigger all the time.
0: So what is your a qualification after your courses, your Masters and your college
1: degree yeah so uh, sport exercise performance psychologist um, currently uh, Carl Rambler's first team sports psychologist and I'm working with uh, Nafina JAA Horler's as well but obviously I'd imagine in your research you probably came across or are aware of it that Working with athletes um, on a one-to-one basis, there's obviously confidentiality. So there's a lot of athletes who would we'll be working we'll be working with who we'll would be in the elite field that I can't mention for a multitude of different reasons. The only reason I can mention the likes of and the female is because they've made a public knowledge through posts, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc., if that makes sense.
0: So if you were to work with, say, a team in the UCFL and they didn't make it public, you wouldn't be able to actually mention it?
1: No, no, you, you, you have to have a, a, an element of confidentiality with all all customers slash clients slash players slash athletes um, or slash people and um, so the confidentiality is there for a reason what you tend to get is when you're having conversations in a one-to-one basis they become quite intimate and there's an element of trust that there so a lot of times the last thing athletes want is that if they're walking on a one-to-one with you that they feel that you're misplacing that trust or that people are going back and using their profile to gain greater kind of exposure for themselves i.e. people who might plaster it all over social media if that
0: makes sense yeah that's fair enough and it's a, you'd build more of a trust that way as well at least and you know that you're not nobody's going to know about it at all a lot of people could be very um hesitant towards opening up or talking about things that would definitely help um to yeah and, break and down and walls and to be
1: honest if you've stumbled upon a really good and important part there to be honest with you Eric is that a lot of the times still that word psychology brings a lot of connotations with it so we have athletes, players and people in general life who think you know they're seeing a psychologist it means that there's something wrong but us in the sport and exercise psychology arena we've got a big job on our hands to make people believe that it's more of a proactive approach so let's say it's Eric he comes to James and we're chatting about his skills and his attributes it's about being proactive and increasing skills and attributes it's not sitting down and talking about the skills that he doesn't have so you're not you're not there as the the old kind of uh, ideology of what a site is you're not there for crisis management you're not there for uh, necessarily when something goes wrong you're just there to help with that you're there to to garner new skills
0: that they can then use so what is sports psychology and what does that mean to a player at a very low level say in a player in the the AUL, like what would psychology mean to them? What what kind of level are we looking at there? What what could you get into with that? Yeah, I,
1: I, I, to be honest with you, it's it's probably across the spectrum for everybody, whether it's yourself or myself or or whatever it might be. I think what we're looking at there is whether you're elite or not it's peak performance can we add the performance and there, there is that cliche about creating the 1% and getting that 1% but I think that actually is a little bit disrespectful to people who walk in the sports psychology arena because I think we offer maybe the 99% and the, the rest of the stuff becomes the 1% because you know that old joke you'll never catch yourself not thinking so it's the brain that's walking everything the brain and obviously the mind is our conceptual thought that's in there so for me sports psychology whether you're in the AUL or you're the elite level, can we control our thoughts? Can we regulate our emotions? Are we preparing right from land? So again, I'd go back to the analogy that the body is a little bit like a machine. And if you keep putting diesel into a petrol car, eventually that petrol car is gonna break down. So for an AUL player or a player who playing in the Premier Division in Cork or wherever they may be, it's about finding what works for you and being able to control the emotions because that feeling of waking up on the day of the game, that's a good feeling, but a lot of people can't regulate the emotion to realise, hang on, this is the reason why I'm playing of a, of a Saturday or a Sunday morning and it's not actually a, a, an anxious thing, it's not a physical anxiety i.e. something like butterflies in the stomach or a little bit of an increased heart rate or whatever we tend to get on the day of games, how do we then look at that and what does what does that feel like to us, Eric, on the day of a game um, and, and can we regulate that to make sure that it's a positive outcome?
0: Yeah, that's interesting actually you touched on that, the nerves on a game day. I play with a player and he's a wonderful footballer. He's probably the most technical striker that I've seen play. But for some reason when he goes out on a match day, he just can't do it. He just he gets very nervous and he just it puts him off playing. I think he's made up excuses not to come to matches, made up like family events, made up injuries or over exaggerated injuries, and I think it comes down to nerves on the day just from playing with him the last couple of years. Yeah. Like what what could that happens to players? That's like that happens yeah. at our level in the UCFL. That happens everywhere. Like what kind of yeah. stuff can you do to I, I just, help
1: that? Uh, yeah, what can you do to help with it? Is, yeah, it's a good question. But I, I do, I will allude to it again and I think my apprenticeship might have been, let's say, going in and coaching at the UCFL and, 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 and then going on to other ventures after that, different levels of sport. But I think the great thing is it keeps you grounded is that the human body is the human body, whether UCFL or you're playing in the, 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 the Champions League. The body, the adrenaline glands they're all the same in human beings and, and the same things happen whether it is that you'll have players at the professional level who you know fine injuries are, aren't are quite there I mean Jose Marino gives a great example of how Arian Robin he had to beg to play in certain games whereas John Terry he had to say to him listen I can't play it so the mentality of that But what can we do to help with these players? Well, you have to get to the root cause of it. And this is where sometimes the man management might come into it and speak into the player. What is it that's making them anxious? Is the striker that you're speaking about, is he worried about not playing the next match? Or is he thinking, how do I score a goal in this game? So is that pressure from another striker that might play in the next game ahead of him if he's not performing in that game? if, If that makes sense?
0: Yeah, so it's basically... Different for every single player, we're kind of saying. You have to kind of sit down and figure out what's triggering this particular person. There's no one fit for everybody.
1: No, absolutely not, and and that's that that's a little bit like when we go to see to see a doctor, a GP, a general practitioner, is that we'll all go in and we might have a lot of signs and symptoms that are the same, but the diagnosis might be very different from Eric as it is to James. So I think that's the same that we can't actually bundle players all in, and you hear the cliche a lot of the time, but cliches are cliches for a reason. You hear oh that that player needs an arm around the shoulder, whether that one needs to kick up the thumb whatever it might be. So each player. When whether you're, you're taking it from a coaching perspective, or you're taking it from a psychological. They're all individual and they're all different, um, and, and we can learn from both sides. To be honest,
0: yeah, well, that's fair enough, and we'll um, we'll talk about coaching a bit more later on. But tell us about what you do. Like, what's your day-to-day role? I know you're working with Cove Ramblers and the Fina at the moment, but like, you do day courses as well. Just tell us a, bit, a little bit about what you do.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'm a, a lecturer in sport and exercise psychology with performance psych as well. Um, on a day-to-day basis, I, I work out of Pierce College in Crumlin. There, I run a, a two-year sport diploma course, um, and have done for the last eleven years. Um, And then I teach in the evening in IBAC College on their level 7, level 8 diploma course, so um, QQI again. Uh, So my day-to-day actual job is actually lecturing in sport and exercise psychology. But then, obviously, outside of hours, I'd have 6 to 10 clients. I'd never go over 10 clients because I think it's actually very intense. I think it's taxing on our energy. Um, and it is a difficult thing to do so if you've got the full-time job where you're teaching all day And then you come out and you've got clients it is energy sapping at times It's very fruitful and it's a job that I love I, I'd always say I'm very lucky that I have a career I don't have a job if that makes sense and um, so my day-to-day would actually be lecturing and, and teaching and um, on, on a day-to-day basis
0: so how do you manage your time between lecture and teach and golf ramblers and <clears throat> six to ten clients? Uh, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, it, it, it's an interesting one. And obviously, people who, who know, know, you listen, are also trying to inform you that I, I spent four days of the week live, uh, walking and living in Dublin, and then the other four days I live in Cork. Um, so my wife is from Cork, and we live there. So um, I love it down there, but I, I actually maintain my job in Dublin and. I go down there Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday um, to talk and I have my life down there which I'm very happy with and um, couldn't be happier but it's it's an interesting one because I was thinking you know what can coaches from tonight's discussion take away well I hope the thing that they, they do take from it is get yourself a diary get yourself a, a, the application with Google calendars on it and start planning your week um, my week is set up on a Sunday evening where I'll sit down and I'll take an hour to just self-reflect on what happened previously in the week. And that's not sitting down and, you know, going through zen and how did I feel. and It's not necessarily that. It's reflecting on what went well with that class, what went well with that client, what should I do to be more productive, how am I feeling um, when it gets to 10 o'clock at the night, Uh, what is it like when I'm waking up in the morning. And then the next the next maybe 30 or 40 minutes is me going to a diary and saying, this is what I have on this day, this one I'm going to eat. And it just comes down to planning. I, I, I was that naive uh, tutor, teacher, and I say it all the time, make it the for this. I was one who would de- take on everything. And I thought, I'm super sorry, I'm really intelligent. But it came back to bite me in the ass a lot of times because without the diary, I'd be going into the class and a student might say oh remember you said you'd have that notes for me and without me having a diary or taking note of these things things slip our, our, our minds on a day to day 11,000 pieces of information we're supposedly getting on a day to day basis so for me to remember everything in a day it's not going to happen so you know whether you're a coach and um, I'm going to get to the coaching as we get to it. But even in our personal lives, get yourself a diary or at least half that half an hour of a Sunday evening to plan your week so that you know
0: what's happening on them days. Yeah, I find that as well. Like, my week would be fairly meticulous that I'd have, and i still have a lot of time to myself now, but things that I've planned in, I just stick them in the calendar and, I, and then I can forget about them because I know I'm going to check the calendar and I don't have to go keep thinking about i'm doing this on saturday no sure thursday gets around i'll check what's there for the next couple of days and i'm laughing like that'd be something that that i'd always look at as well and i don't know how people can get on without it because i just forget about things otherwise like matches or anything like that coming up times they go straight into the calendar as soon as i see them so i can find them easily then afterwards but um yeah i can i can understand that it is difficult as well like people have a lot going on and they don't necessarily think of putting things down and taking time out to reflect on things or look at things. So I can actually, I can see how that could be very beneficial for people. There's a lot going on about mental health in sport at the moment. We have a lot of a lot of negative stuff in the press. There's been like a, there's been the suicide rates going up in Ireland at the moment, and. Um, And we're hearing a lot about it in mental health. We've got a Mental Health Awareness Week. It was spread around by all the leagues. So football are really getting on board and all the football leagues are really taking mental health on board. So what role does sports psychology have in relation to mental health?
1: Yeah, um, it it is huge and it is interesting that it it, it is cropping up everywhere. I think there's there's two important points with it. One would be that we as sport and exercise psychologists or practitioners or consultants or whatever people want to label us is we aren't actually clinical psychologists. So there is a part where if an athlete comes to me and there is a mention of something like you said, suicide or whatever it is, the first thing that I have to do then is refer them on because I'm not qualified for that. And sadly what we see is some people who are in the position of a sport and exercise psychology consultant or performance psychologist, they sometimes think that they're equipped with the skills to be able to deal with them things. Can they help? Can they have a good relationship with the person? Absolutely. But are they actually, by law, able to be equipped to deal with this? No. The second part of it would be... What can we do to help with mental health? So, I, I as you, you probably know, I've done a lot of talks around mental health, particularly on World Mental Health Day. I was out with um, Blanchard Town IT doing talks for their, their, their fourth year. Um, in relation to it. And what I always try to get across the America is that we have different components of health. So we've got the physical health and we've got our emotional health and we've got our social health. So are we interacting with our friends? Are we talking to our family? Uh, are we speaking to our loved ones? Are we talking to our girlfriend, friend, whatever it might be? Our emotional health, how are we feeling on a day-to-day? Are we monitoring that? Are we angry for most of the day? Are we sad? Are we looking at our emotional health? Then we have our physical health, which takes in so much more. Because when we think about our physical health, probably comes down to a couple of things. So we get energy two ways: the food that we take in, or the sleep that we get. And if you have a bad sleep, like everybody else, you probably know that you're going. The next day becomes a longer day than the day before, um, and we tend to our meal tends to be dependent on our sleep as well. But in order for your physical health and your social health and your emotional health to be okay, they all rest on the foundation of the house. And the foundation of the house is your mental health. So what can we do to help with our mental health? Are we regulating our mood? Are we looking at ourselves? Are we asking it like you, like you alluded to earlier, it's hard to get a time during the day when we're so busy to actually self-reflect and say, how am I actually doing? Rather than leaving it to a point where you end up having maybe a little bit of a, a, a nervous breakdown or whatever it is, um, and <clears throat> depression is such a, a thing that hits everybody. Um, I often say the only thing that's redeeming about depression is that it isn't biased, racist. It doesn't care for age, race, creed, or colour. It doesn't care whether he's lots of money or no money. It can attack anybody. It can affect anybody's life. So, what can we do then to equip uh, athletes to help with that? Well, we have to make them comfortable to be able to speak with how they're feeling. Um, And I alluded to, you probably heard with the interview I'd done with Dan, um, there's lots of organisations around the world using this MetriFit app. And for people that don't know it, it's an app that players use each morning. They give a score out of 10 about how they're feeling in wellness, how they're feeling in energy. Um, But from the sports psych point of view, Eric, for me... uh, when you're putting scores into a, a phone or into a computer or whatever it is, it's very false. And if if James is the manager and Eric wants to play on Saturday for, the, the, let's say, Ireland under 19s, and Eric feels, well, if I put in a, a, a tree today for my energy, chances are James is going to say, I don't have enough energy to play the game on Saturday. Whereas if you're sitting down with somebody one-to-one, you can feel their moods, you can see their body language. What are they saying to you nonverbally? What are they saying to you verbally? You know, what is their body language? What way do they look even with our eyes? Our eyes emote a lot of the time. So our eyes give away signals of how we're feeling. So you can you don't have to be a trained practitioner to see that. You just need to be actually in the moment with the athlete and speaking to them. So it's important that we actually make human connection. Um, there's a fantastic book out at the moment called The Lost Connections. Uh, it's all about depression, and it's how basically losing social interaction has actually probably increased uh, the amount of stress, anxiety, and depression you have in our lives. Um, and I mean connectivity between human to human, not that little Wi-Fi sign that we see up on the top of the screen.
0: Yeah, well, that's fair enough. And you can see that as well, like even football teams there, everybody has a WhatsApp and um, every football team has a Twitter an Instagram and a Facebook Well, nearly every team like everything's gone very 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 social media orientated and yeah. I'd say to the point where like it's difficult for a coach to come up and look at a team then like if you're new to coaching you're going up and there's 11 lads coming up or sorry but there'd be more than 11 if you're going up training hopefully and yeah. you're kind of looking at them trying to get used to and find out who's who used to seeing what they do what kind of things make them tick how they react when they're tired and it's difficult because you're trying to analyze 20 odd players so like what would your advice be for a coach in that scenario that may not have looked at this kind of aspect to coaching before that they go up now on the next training session after listening to this and say well i've got 22 lads and i never thought about this before how, how would you start getting into this it, at this level
1: yeah it's it's really good and and the f- the the one thing that i want to say is that uh, you know I'm, I'm not preaching that i i know everything in fact i'd say the opposite i think the more that i've learned the re- the more i realize i i know very little but what the, it is a good point so how do you start to implement this type of thinking how do you start to actually start to create these systems I think sometimes it's just about actually stepping back. Um, so many coaching sessions now have become commentary sessions. So you set up an exercise and the coach just talks the way through everything. Um, and we don't actually get to see what the players are doing. Um, and uh, you know, a really interesting one, whether it's at the League of Ireland level we call Ramblers or it, it's with um, any team in the UCFL, the AUL. Leinster Senior League, Munster Senior League, Cork Business League, which were fantastic when they were on a couple of weeks ago. The psychology probably is very similar. And what I mean by that is um, you think of the role of a substitute. Okay, you think of, of, of the creation of what's happening with substitutes. So they may have trained twice that week and they may have found it very difficult to make it to train and then they may have had a child at home who wasn't well but they've gone and trained and their only way back into the team, Eric, is by the coach seeing the important effort in, in training. You would like to believe that the coach would watch training and think whoever's training the best should probably play. Now we know that doesn't always happen but how many times have you seen a fourth-team manager or a coach, set up an exercise or set up a match and go walking off to put things in the car or leave it to the assistant to look after. And the players who are trying to get into the team straight away, they look at that. And it's just demotivating. You're, you're thinking, well, how am I going to force myself into the team if he's not able to even watch me in training? So I think it's about watching training and then being... Not, not so much in a, a clever way but actually speaking to your players how did you how did you find that like if you think about um something simple to do you have a really tra- tough training session how did how did you feel after that speaking to them uh, on a one-to one how would you rate that out of 10 really hard? maybe six to ten or was it easy you know RPEs rate predict exertion. that might take a little bit of time that night to send messages out to the lads but it will be worth it in the long run because they'll be saying, well, if Eric actually really cares about the training session or Eric sends a message to, to, to Johnny who hasn't been in the team for a couple of weeks, listen, by seeing the amount of enthusiasm and effort you're putting into training tonight, you keep doing what you're doing and you get the chance. So it becomes, you know, I've, I've heard other people on the, the, the show before talking about, you know, the man management and they're so, so right in what they're saying there. It's about how you actually communicate with your players Verbally and non-verbally, and um, and and one thing that goes missing sometimes is, as coaches or managers, you have to be very specific with your words that you use because they carry weight, and that weight can be it can kill a player's motivation or it can increase their motivation. So that's why I, I never have an issue with a parent coach or a young coach who's completely positive all the time rather than having somebody who might make a throwaway comment, but you've a player going home that night and saying, do you know what, I'm after going out in the rain for two hours, and it wasn't me while he's saying I'm not even making the effort in training, does he know that I had to beg my boss to get off at half five tonight and I'm up at training for quarter past six? Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does, and that's kind of, that That happens all the time at our level, that you, people work, there's nobody, well, there are people who don't work, but most of the lads that, are up training are struggling to get there they're balancing work life social lives they if they're playing on saturday you're turning down things you're doing on friday if you're playing on sunday you're turning down things you could do on saturday night Um so it is a complete balance and i can understand how a player going up and training twice a week giving up their friday night or their saturday night, saturday night to go out on a saturday or a sunday and then being overlooked by a coach could have a seriously negative effect on them and probably push them away from football completely because you've got other things that you could be doing other than being overlooked by a coach 100% and
1: I'm, I'm you've hit on a really good point that I've made before is that, um, and I, I tell the story quite frequently um, so apologies if people have heard it before but myself me, me, and my wife if I meet people who might, she might be friends with if they've got a, obviously a husband or a boyfriend and I'm chatting and they might say oh well, you know Artie was telling us that you're involved in soccer or you're involved in sport and I might just say in a, a, a way, comment oh did you play yourself or do you play or whatever and the amount of people over the last 10 to 15 years who've said to me I played when I was younger but it was shit. Um, and I gave up when I was twelve or thirteen and I I'm in my mind saying who allows somebody at the age of twelve or thirteen to to get to the point where they think that they're in various commas shit at football or bad at football or poor at football enough that they give up and quit. And you have hit the nail on the head there. We've got we've we've never had as many people playing soccer ever in this country. But we've never ever had the amount or the high dropout rates that we have either. So yes, there's a lot going right, but why are people still dropping out? And another good point on the age thing there would be: we look at the national leagues here, the thirteens, 15th, 17s and 19th. The Gentlemen's Agreement that was meant to come between the thirteens sides was that the results wouldn't be posted this year. Now we, we you're probably seeing some of the scores where it was 17 nil and. 12 and all the rest of that and it, it's a different world we live in Eric so them kids you can't not tell me that they're not seeing that score on social media that some of them might not be going to school the next day and you know getting you know um, slagged about it or getting some little bit of abuse or ban- you know people might label it as banter and that will have an effect on them and that's why as we say people end up dropping our sport and we, we have to go back to this. why did we start playing because we loved it and it was only after we were conditioned into the idea of winning with everything that we started to leave because we weren't winning.
0: Yeah, no, I can agree with you there. When I started playing, now I didn't start playing until I was, what, 21, 22 at least? I <laughs> actually okay. started yeah. Albury before I ever played a a professional, or not a professional, a full-sized match. <laughs> <laughs> a professional as far as yeah. i was concerned, I've only ever played Astro, so it was the full-sized I mean, match. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Well, 11, I know what you're saying, 11 a side, yeah, on yeah.
0: a pitch, is it? Yeah, never yeah. set foot on an 11 side pitch before and actually played a match. But I started playing anyway the first year and it was going grand, but I felt that after, after games like my Saturdays would be dictated on how long I played and what the result was. So I could come on for the last 10 minutes and we lose 2-1. And I'd be just in foul form for the Saturday. And then I just had to kind of get out of that mindset of saying, look, it doesn't matter if I win or I lose or I play. I'm just not going to let myself feel shit after the game. It's only a game of football. Yeah. It's going to last two hours. And I have to scrap that and get on my weekend. Because it took too many Saturdays off Like after that. like it just, It's just ruining your day. So I'm losing Saturday after Saturday because of football. So once I got into the mindset where, look, I'm not going to let it bother me. I'm going to move on and that was just up to making that decision and then I still went and I still trained and then it was kind of only this year that I decided look I'll just train and I'm not even going to go for the match squad I'm just going to enjoy it I'm going to come up okay, I'm going yeah. to watch the match going to support the lads and I'll bring the dog up and have a coffee and I'm enjoying that so much more than I was before which, is, which is strange but I'm not playing football and it's just it works different for different people I suppose but it was just the the way the Saturdays went and that kind of negativity that just threw me out of playing. Now, I wouldn't turn around and say, I gave up football because I was shit. Although some people might say that <laughs> about me. But um, I yeah, wouldn't say it. I, I just yeah, I no. gave up football yeah. because I wasn't enjoying it. Now, I'm not great, but it doesn't bother me. And that's kind of how yeah, I but, got but, to grips with that. It,
1: it, it's all relative. I mean, look obviously grew up in Dublin so it it, it used to be like you know uh, UCFL used to laugh at the Leinster Football League AUL used to laugh at the the UCFL and then the Leinster Senior League used to laugh at at the AUL and then uh, the, the Division 1 League of Ireland used to laugh at the Lyntha Senior League, and then the Premier Division, and then people who are playing in the Premier Division will be getting laughed at from people who are playing in Division 1 or in the Championship, and it goes up and up and up, and that that's always the way it's going to be. People will always think that the level that they're playing at uh, is better than the one below that they conceive it as. But uh, it, look, it is important what you said there, and I doubt you'd be the first, and you're definitely not going to be the last who has made a conscious decision. But what I do disagree with is, yeah, right, okay, you're not playing competitive matches, but the Tuesdays and the Thursdays are the training, um, and and by all accounts, what you're saying on the the, the podcast about the gym sessions that you're doing. You're enjoying it, you're much happier, you get out, you have your coffee, you're doing the, the, the little bit of analysis at the games, you're, you're chatting, doing interviews with, with managers at the side of the pitchers and stuff, and you know, if that means you're happier at the weekend and your mood isn't dependent on the result, um, well, all, all the better for it.
0: Yeah, it was more of a conscious mental health decision as well, Just it just wasn't worth it, so i am enjoyed it much mm-hmm. more at the moment than I ever did when I was playing, because you're, you're getting up early for a match, you're taking it easy the night before, you're not going out, like, if there was something on the night before, yeah. I'd just be, I oh, look, I'll drive, don't worry about it, and then, you're going out Saturday, you're yeah. going to, you're going to warm up, maybe in the rain, you're going to stand there for 80 minutes, but then you're cold, then you're trying to warm up, and you go out for 10 minutes, and you can't play good, because you're still cold, and you're not really bothered, because you've already stood there for 80 minutes, and we're losing anyway, what difference am I going to make, and then you're annoyed, <laughs> and that's of yeah. yeah. how it went for me, yeah. but, um, yeah, no, that's how that went But um. On a coaching note, i seen you were doing the UEFA license, the UEFA A there last week. How did that get on? How did you get on with that, even?
1: Yeah, um, really enjoyable. Met some fantastic people on it, and the, the licenses are always very interesting. They are always, um, they take you back to maybe your school days where you're going in and you're meeting people for the first time. Um, but yeah, look, the standard's are very high. You've a lot of kind of ex-players who will be on it as well. Um, Eamon Droid was on it. Johnny Dunleavy. Um, Simon Madden, who's with Pat, was on it as well. Um, so there's, there's lots of different people on it. But you're actually being tutored by uh, Irish international coaches. So uh, under-16 coaches, Paul Sami, he was one of the tutors. And then my tutor was Jason O'Donoghue. Um, uh, and... Uh, the whole week was just fantastic but they were they, they're long days but really really good um, I would say that the cherry side during the day maybe nine through till about four or five you have some dinner then um, you your lunch included but then you go out and you do your coaching practice at the night and everybody in the group is giving you feedback not just the coach and um, Is it intimidating? Yes. Is it daunting? Absolutely. But is it it worth it 100%? Last week was, um, in terms of learning and going back and doing continuous professional development, uh, I couldn't speak highly enough of it. So another block in January and then a final block in May. But I have to say... um, and I uh, you know a lot of people will probably think it's it's just for the sake of it. We've we've obviously heard so much negative stuff about the FBI and the rest of it, but the coach education department, there's some terrific people walking in it and um, and they do put a lot in and they for the A licence uh, just gone, uh, they created a really open environment where you felt you could literally ask anything without feeling that they were looking at you or thinking, this lad is super or whatever it might be or if your coaching practice wasn't going... Amazing, you 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 actually felt like oh I can recover in this session because I'm not actually being judged here. They're just actually giving me feedback so I get better. If that if that makes sense.
0: Yes, you've learned a lot from the people around you and not just the course itself.
1: And it, like, it's something that I consciously say And um, The Harvard Business School Done research a couple of years ago um, And they basically found that Listening to the single monotone So the same voice over 30 minute period Would result in about A 43% reduction In concentration So what I try to do with well, athletes So what I try to do with students all the time Is make sure that they're interacting With each other and learning from each other Like I'd never be naive enough to think that uh, people will learn more from me than they will from their peers. And I think that was illustrated last week. That the coaches were brilliant to learn so much often them, but they, they were the ones telling us, look, speak to the people on your table. Speak to the person sitting next to you because you're going to learn so much from them. Um, and, and I have to say, uh, I was very tired, but I was also coming home and I was on the phone to my wife and, and, and I was buzzing with it. I, I really was. I really enjoyed the whole the, the process
0: and do you think them coaching courses would be beneficial for coaches at any level to go and do
1: oh yeah absolutely I think I think what uh, coaches are doing now is they're they're looking at the official pathway which is fantastic so they're going with the kickstart or the PDP and the D licence or C license and into the UEFA B. There is a considerable jump from the C license onto the B and then the, the the distance between the A and the D is quite big as well in my opinion so far. But I would say that the coaches at all levels two should go and and, and even begin their pathway um and, and it or sorry, begin their journey on the pathway. Um, and also also think outside the box. Think of courses that you think is important so if you're particularly somebody who's gone to the gym a lot and you think well physically i think the game should be about who can sprint hardest who can run go and study snc go and do a course in standing conditioning if you think it's about you know well look you can train the body but if you're not putting the right fuel into it go and study nutrition and then if you are a deep thinker and somebody who likes to analyze everything about the game. Go and have a look at psychology courses out there as well, because there's plenty of education around the um, coaching, not just based in in a badge or a license.
0: And how much did sports psychology kind of interact with the A license and the licenses up the way through it? Like, how much did they? How much they talk about the psychology side of it?
1: Um, it, it's interesting because I think it's only really when we hit the A licence when they start talking about, you know, uh, peer-to-peer learning, how to set goals, how to effectively set goals, how do we look at it. Um, and that, that is an interesting one because we've already hit on the idea of self-reflection and having a diary take takeaway messages from, the, from the, the podcast this evening. But what is also important as well is, I think people neglect the idea of goal setting, and it's become a little bit, I suppose, wishy-washy. But when we set goals, obviously people have heard of the SMART acronym: so specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and in a time frame. Um, but we try to say, can we set smarter goals? So can we evaluate that goal, and then can we? The the R then is, can we reset that goal? And I think the the A licence has hit a lot more on the psychological dynamics of what happens within sport. And maybe the other ones, I think it's about creating your system's set up off the four functions of the game. So coaches would look at the game and say, attack, defend, but then our transition, how quickly do we defend, how we transition to defend, and then how quickly do we transition from defend to attack? Um, and that's probably more of what's happening in the early stages of the the, the licenses or the, the, the stricts. And then eventually, I believe, on the, the A license, there's much more, but I cannot stress the importance of actually looking at the game from that psychological perspective or at least going and trying to understand something as simple as goal setting and goal setting isn't at the start of the season we want to win every game and we want to win the league yeah terrific but you know what so do the other 21 teams or the other 21 teams that are in the league so how do we actually go about doing that we need to set targets that are realistic how do we measure them are they really attainable? Are they realistic with the set of players that we have? Is there enough time to implement the changes we want? Maybe we need to reevaluate or evaluate at Christmas how it's going. And then we might need to just reset our goal.
0: Yeah, no, that's fair enough. And actually, the first thing that i see seen, so I've done the UEFA, not UEFA, the, the D licence, the <laughs> FAID licence, and that one of the first things that was written up on the whiteboard and I went in was... Good versus bad coach and he opened up to the room and he said, What's a good coach? And I don't know about everybody else, but I kinda of sat there blanked. like, What is a good coach? Okay. It took me a <laughs> while. So 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 what is a good coach?
1: It's it's an interesting one. Um and again we come back to some things that I would have learned last week and some things that I probably would have been aware of. But for me, you've got to look at the dynamics of what's happening around you you've got to be fully aware of the level so a good coach at the elite level um, look at Stoke for many years so people will go oh they don't play good football hang on a minute what is good football so what is a good coach was Tony Pulis a good coach well yeah for a long time at Stoke he was because he was keeping them uh, up out of the relegation zone, he was keeping them in the Premiership. So, th- if we go into it on a deeper level, what is a good coach? Well, somebody who 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 you can speak to, somebody who you are comfortable around enough to be able to speak to. For me, um, are they have they got a level of humility about them? And um, do they respect you, or do they just want respect? Uh, these are the type of characteristics that we look for. I want my coach to be organised. I don't I don't want to be in a situation where a, a player is coming to my session and because of training and that he has his Fitbit on and he looks at his watch and it's 8.31 and he's saying, well, James told me training was starting at half eight. Uh, why, why is it 8.31 now? So I want my coach to be punctual. I want them to be on time because there's a lot of these things, again, we look at the Instagrams and the, the memes and the quotes and all. But the things that you get for free, Eric, you, they're, they're really important. So showing up on time, being punctual, training, training hard. And training hard is, is a really good one because whatever level I've been at, we always try to ensure that when we're there, we train, and that we train with intensity that matches the game. So reality-based learning. Are, you want to training tomorrow, are, to Thursday night or whatever it might be, you've got to keep in the back of your mind everything that you're there doing is this related to the game. And Mick would Mick say would be able to tell you from when he would have played with me or other players who play under me now or within the college, whatever it might be. Little things like underhand throw. If you're doing group work and someone's underhand throwing it, and you're saying, "Well, I've got 22 players here who could be actually taking a proper throw in." And if you think your own games at the weekend, how many times did we give away possession from a throw in? And people really, if I said to somebody now on a license, write down what set pieces you want to do. And they'll go attacking set pieces, attacking free kicks, defending free kicks, and defend the corner. And I always say, well, what about your throw in? Are they not a set piece? Well, for, for again, bringing up the Stoke thing, for Stoke for with Rory, the last, they were certainly an attacking one. But I think we give away the ball so often when we have it. Um, in our hands because it's another set piece so you, you want to go into the specifics of the game like that you want to train based off the reality of the game that if that makes sense to you so you ask the question in training why are we doing this and as a coach you need to be able to say we're doing this because it replicates the game we're doing this because it's similar to the game where we played against the 3 and we never exploited them in wide areas um, so a good coach is able to do that but I would, I would say as well, and rather than maybe saying a bad coach, but coaches who I I will have had down through the years, and some people kind of throw their eyes up at this sometimes, the coaches that I didn't get on with, and the coaches that I I really disliked when I was growing up. I've learned so much more from them than I ever did the good coaches because the way I would have been treated by some coaches, I will never treat a player like that. I will never treat a student like that. I will never treat a person like that. So we, we alluded to, obviously, the, the psychology company that I have, Pride Psychology, and the, the the slogan is, you know, be a good person first and a good sports person or a good athlete second. And I think you can never go far wrong with your coaching if you you take that system. They're always going to rub players up the wrong way. The the old joke quote from Mourinho, your 11 best friends that you pick on the Saturday and then your your five subs that probably dislike you and then the players that really dislike you that don't get into the squad at all.
0: Yeah, well, that's fair enough. You're never going to please everyone, though, at the end of the day. That's another part of it. But um, you just talked about your... Your company there, Pride Psychology. What is the, what does the Pride stand for?
1: Yeah, so uh, it it stands for personal responsibility in delivering excellence, um, and and it's actually interesting that I brought up the likes of timekeeping and punctuality and things like that. Um, so people who would in the country probably be big admirers of American football they probably watch the Super Bowl but the the name of the trophy the Lombardi Cup so Vince Lombardi a really famous coach in America wrote a fantastic book called the Lombardi Rules if you haven't read it I suggest any coach or aspiring coach or player who's thinking of going down that route reads it but one of the skills that he talks about is timekeeping Um, and I read this thing a long time ago and I seen the acronym about personal responsibility and delivering excellence and I just thought if I want an athlete to come to me, if I want elite athletes to come to me, if I want really big organisations to work with me in terms of performance psychology on a day-to-day basis in their job, uh, if I want teams to work with me, you have to take personal responsibility in delivering that excellence. And that comes back to the players. How often do we see players and last night you have the different economy on your, your, your Twitter timeline was probably a little bit like mine. You had a lot of people who were talking about the referees performance last night and then you had some people who were talking about it objectively and some talking about it subjectively. The reason I bring it up is I try to get players to be objective because once we go down the personal responsibility or taking ownership and things then the less we start saying well the referee was the reason we didn't win the game or the referee was terrible and we hear it often you know a friend who oh that ref was terrible in that match and what score was it oh we lost 6-0 so the referee was at fault for all 6 of them goals is what I always say you know and I think in, in relation to that then um, that's that's the part where I'd be looking at and saying we need to take ownership here we need to be able to go back and say, how do we get better? Well, the only reason or the only way or the only chance of us getting better is by taking ownership of things that we can control and getting better with them. So looking at a game and saying, well, it actually wasn't the referee. It was a right-back who was tucking in or he was too far forward. And they are things that we can control because the next week we go, out, we're going to have another referee. Am I saying referees are right all the time? No, but what I'm saying is, take ownership of the things that we can control we can get better at them things then and then eventually we're looking at our goals that we set so we have our process goals what's happening during the week am I going out the night before a game or am I preparing right then we look at our performance goals are we defending well as a unit are we defending well as an individual are we defending well as a team and if you take your process goals what you've done preparation-wise and you add them to your performance goals, that in most cases, Eric, will result in you having an outcome goal that's favourable for you, i.e. did you win the game in terms of the scoreline?
0: Yeah, so it's like, not being afraid to post a fixture, or post a result after a game. I find that, like if you look at a team, say on social media, I find, not everyone, but some teams are inclined to post fixtures when they win, and uh, not so inclined yeah. to post fixes yeah. when they lose. It's not taking yeah. responsibility yeah. for their loss at that level as well. A
1: hundred percent. And again, it comes down to what kind of message they're sending. You know, um, for me, working with athletes, I think if they take ownership. And yeah, uh, coming back to the original question, working with individuals, um, very fruitful, um, providing a basis for them to create new skills and learning uh, tools that they can use as as a person first and as an athlete second. And some of them I've already spoken about tonight. It might be a case that somebody hasn't got a diary. It might be a case that somebody's actually not getting enough sleep or, or not eating right. And you've got to look at that. You've got to look at the week that they've had. What's their general week look like? And how do you then help with that? And sometimes that's what it's about. Because whether you're in sport or you're in exercise or you're in accountancy or you're in business or whatever it might be, it everything we do on a day to day basis is all based on a performance. So how do we increase that? How do we get the best out of it? You know, and it's a funny one because when we think about technology we, we so often neglect to think that it was actually originally designed to make our lives much more efficient. But actually, what we tend to say in 2019 is we tend to spend more time on them. And and all you need to do is check the screen time on your phone to, to give you the answer to what I've just suggested there.
0: Yeah, that's something I tend yeah. to avoid myself, checking how long I've been looking at a screen because yeah. it's yeah, scary I'm to see the fair. hours in it, in, fair, in fairness. But um, yeah. what I take away from what you said there about a, a good coach and everything that goes with it, a lot of things you mentioned there are applicable at the very lowest level if you don't even need a coaching badge a good coach on time and organized that i think is the foundation for the rest of it because that'll send out the right message to your players like you're interested yeah 100
1: percent. and it was something that i kind of as a young coach probably done done a lot more of because of anxiousness because i thought Right, I don't want to go up there and say the wrong thing or come across the wrong way or whatever it might be, but I always try to be early so that I could visualise and mentally go through what the session looked like. Sometimes if I had something set out, I might even go through it physically and then think, right, a player might ask me, uh, what do I do after I get the ball at the top with the cone? um, And then I've got to go into a 1v1. And I I try to visualise what they'll be doing during the session so that... um, I can better be prepared for when they do ask them questions so you've you've already gone through it Um, and mental rehearsal visualization is a huge part of sports and exercise psychology but again it's a skill that we use every day but we kind of get a little bit scared when we hear from sports psychs or performance psychs you think about yourself and uh, you listen to the interview i have done with Dan so I I speak about mental rehearsal we've all done it so you don't want to go into walk in the morning. you probably maybe a little bit ill or you might not be, you might just want to pay off or whatever it is and you mentally rehearse that phone call to your boss in your head, you're thinking do I cough, do I not cough, do I talk really low, do I do it with a muffled voice and we actually mentally rehearse that phone call and that's not too dissimilar to what you try to get athletes at the very highest level to do.
0: work with teams at lower levels or would you be open to work with teams at lower levels or how what kind of yeah, teams would you me, offer psychology is applicable from kids to adults to amateurs to professionals to anybody playing in any sport yeah, and not, not just soccer as well you work with Nafina as well so it's applicable across the ho- a whole range of sports everywhere
1: yeah yeah, absolutely and and that, that that is a good point that you make that it is applicable across the sport uh, you, you get so much information when you're doing that as well I mean for me going in my comfort zone working with basketball teams something that I wouldn't have been familiar with although I'd like the game of basketball going in with GAA teams and then going in with a Portland team something again I hadn't ever been involved with but what you tend to find is these same patterns tend to be coming up the players that aren't playing they almost become i.e. Oh, Jim Gavin's conversation that he had during the summer you're, you're, you're substitutes so I don't know if you're, you're a fan of basketball yourself but the, I learned recently off a student so I never knew the theater that the they're not called substitutes in basketball essentially they're called finishers so you have people who start the game and then there's people, people that you actually have who are designed specifically to finish off a game or end the game and I just thought you know you're going to have people listening to it ac- across the spectrums. whatever they say we will be going off snowflake generation you can't even call them a substitute now but I think even the nature of the word substitute or the word sub the word sub is to, to define If you think submarine, it's below the surface. So are we are we inclined to think that these people are below the level that's required? You think of teams that have fantastic 11 and then another fantastic uh, five or six that are on on, on the uh, their, their, their bench as such or, or their finishers uh, in relation to that as well. So there's, there's a huge amount that goes into it in, in terms of transferring from sport to sport, from athlete to athlete, irrespective of
0: the level and what would you say right so for instance I'm a coach and I'm going up training and I notice one player's not really performing like he usually does he's a bit lethargic and he has been for the last week and I've listened to this podcast and I think right look I've never done this before but I'm going to give it a go I'm going to I'm going to see if I can get something out because you might be the kind of coach who doesn't ask the player how he feels how do you approach a player and what do you say to the player if you're in that position?
1: So, look, it, there's, there's little subtle ways of doing it as well. You might you might actually see that your session actually is a odd number and you might be doing walk with twos, let's say, for example. You might just actually pop, hop in and it might be a passing exercise at the start of the session, little one-twos or whatever it is. And it might be, help team for yourself anyway? And, It might be hard at the start kind of getting information out and then it might be, Yeah, yeah, so you're working loads this week and you understand then you find out, Okay, he's doing extra hours or he's doing overtime leading up to Christmas or you discover that he's a young child or he might be living at home and then you might find out from somebody else that his brother could be involved in something extracurricular, i.e., crime or drugs, or there might be something going on in the family, or that there might just be a family member that's ill. And it is is a case. It's not a case of sitting down, and this is the problem with it. We have practitioners who fail on a lot of things. One of them is that they go in and they give a one-off talk. So Cup final is coming up, and Aubrey are in the final, and they think, right, I'm going to get a sports like in to talk to them. And I allude to it all the time. So you, Eric is the coach. And all year, Eric is given instruction. And Eric was there on that October night when we trained from 6 till 10. It was really bad weather. We were freezing. A couple of us were sick the next day. But we all were there together. Now, you've got a sports site coming in and saying, you've got to give everything today. And you've got to run through a brick wall. If I'm a player in that situation, I'm looking at this guy saying, hang on a minute who are you? Were you part of this group? Why would I run through a brick wall for you? And that that's one part of it. The other part of it then is that we allow this myth to exist where it's all about going up to players and saying, how do you feel today? And oh, I'm sorry to It's not a case of that. When I'm talking about asking athletes how they feel or what's their day like, we're gauging things like energy. We're gauging things like busyness. We're gauging things like efficiency. So we're not just saying to them, oh, it's are you happy are you sad because life has a lot of grey in it it's not as black and white as that so for your coach who's gone up to that training session it might just be a conversation and all of a sudden you realize this player is a great player but as i said it's christmas time and he's got overtime walk or whatever it is and um, another great insight into that i, I, I obviously started to teach him when i was very young and again people who knew me at that stage would know that I probably had a, an idea, ideology about me, that I probably knew everything um, I couldn't have been more wrong, but I, I remember with students essentially saying, listen, one minute past nine means you're late and you're not coming into the class. Okay, so I thought, I'm going to teach these life skills in my head. I thought it was Vince Lombardi or John Wood, one of these amazing coaches that I'd read about. Long story short, there was a student who was showing up late all the time um, and. Basically, they would stay late in the day, the walk was terrific, but it was still itching at me, and I just kept at myself saying,
0: Say for instance, and this would go for yourself as well, what do you do and what would a coach do if they find themselves not feeling great? Who do they talk to?
1: To be fair, you know I'm blessed to have a voice that kind of indicates me. Are you sure everything's okay? Or you know you don't tame yourself or whatever it might be. And sometimes that's all it is. And sometimes you go, Do you know what? Actually, I'm not feeling great today. And some and, and that's okay as well. I, I'd like to believe, Eric, and I don't know what your thought there on this. I'd like to actually find your opinion on it. Is that I'd like to believe we're coming away from the the alpha male. We have to be perfect and all right every day of the week, you know.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people are becoming more open. Like, I mean, even to go back to all the yes votes we had in the country, that's not just changed laws, but I think it's changed opinions as well. And I mean, there's a lot of people that are like, I'm just completely off topic here, but going like to the LGBT community. I think when that law was passed, a lot of families would have had people in their family who might have been gay or lesbian or transgender or whatever it was and then once yeah. you have kind of somebody in your family that's that's like that it kind of opens your eyes and it would open your cousin's eyes or it might be your cousin and then it opens yeah. your eyes then and I think everyone just became more accepting of who anybody was and then I think in turn sure look, if that person if my cousin's turning out and he's transgender and or my cousin came out as gay, and it was very difficult for him to come out. And like you see, people who committed suicide because they were so afraid to come out. And then you that's kind crazy. of appreciate how difficult it was for people to accept who they were, and then to come out to their family, to their friends, and people from all walks of life, no matter who you are, has seen this firsthand or knows someone or has someone in their family that's gone through this you see how hard it was for them people to come out and then in turn you think, well, look, if they went and done that, there's no shame in me talking about how I feel. Like, everyone feels different and there's a lot of people who, like, go through stuff. Everyone goes through stuff. Nobody's perfect. And Absolutely. I think social media is a big killer on this as well because nobody posts their bad days. It's your ideal versus yeah. your real self. Very like, good. And and I'm I'm guilty of it too because, like... I, I'm in work this morning. I get up. What day is this? Tuesday. I get up. It's rain and it's dark. I sit in the car eating a breakfast bar, drinking a bottle of water on the way in, sitting in M50 traffic. I'm not up on Instagram yeah. going, "This is me great day." Like, but yeah. granted, that's if nice. I go out for lunch and I go to Costa Coffee and they are even Starbucks and they write my name on the side of the cup and they have a little snowflake done in chocolate, I might put that yeah. on Instagram. But that's not how my day yeah. is. Yeah. But yeah. I think it's all it all goes hand in hand
1: mm, and it's it's it, i mean first of all fantastic um example there in relation to the country with the 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 vote Um, it, it it really does symbolize that 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 stigma that mentality maybe is changing society. slightly um, is it still is there still issues absolutely but it, it has changed and then as you say it it it's it is okay to be coming out and then speaking about how we feel um, I think we're talking one and three people who suffer with the depression or mental health issues so whether it's me or you it's somebody that we know who suffered with it and it's about being able to help them through them days um, and giving them information based off it the social media side of things yeah it, it, it's It probably couldn't be any more clearer than what you suggested there. If we were to go off it, um, off what's going on social media, then as you said, nobody has bad days. And I think what we're doing societally there and not to get too deep into it but the reality is what we've created now is an instantaneous generation where people want things and they want it now you know so i make i cook a dinner a healthy nutritious dinner and i post about it on facebook and it's on instagram and it's on twitter and now i want credit for eating healthy so it becomes i start judging that And the real scary thing is, now I don't have kids, I don't know if you've kids yourself or that, but for people who do have children, Eric, we are in a society now, we're in a place and time where our younger generation are judging their self-worth of how many likes they get on a photo. And that is a dangerous, scary place for society to be, and that's why we need huge education around what social media is, what it symbolises, as you've said, what a fantastic way real versus fake versus ideal um, and and what that's shown uh to younger people uh through role models or through people significant others that they, they they look up to
0: yeah like it is playing a huge role everybody has an instagram and a twitter and a facebook and like how people interact with you on that even strangers like twitter opens mm-hmm. the floodgates <laughs> for people just to yeah. go at yeah. you over something yeah. they don't care about like it's nuts. Yeah. Even on the, if you ever read the journal? You go into the comments on that, and there's people who uh, are commenting yeah. about people they don't know uh, about over things they don't yeah. understand. It's nuts. And like yeah, sometimes yeah. I click into the articles just for the comments, just because, and then I get annoyed and click out of the comments. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's just it's that kind of stuff that everybody has to have their say, and like everybody's at each other to be the best, and it's just yeah. it's a bit pointless. And uh, yeah social media bothers completely me for that.
1: Agree. Yeah, completely
0: agree. Yeah, and in terms of that relates back to football as well. That social media is growing hugely across all um, the leagues like it's you know it's a great thing, but it's having the negative effect as you mentioned earlier on young kids posting results 17-0, 9-0, 11-0 and you kind of don't realize what impact that could have on the kid in school. And that kid might never come out and tell you oh well I was getting slagged in school because we lost 17-0 and you never know but that no. one tweet or that one Facebook post could have such a negative effect on young people over something that they should really just be enjoying of
1: course and, and we, we go back to it um, I had a chat with a really good friend of mine earlier um, really fantastic young coach as well who's done the, the the course in Pierce Gary Howlett is his name um, and we were discussing something similar to this and we were talking about was a for and I, I, I loved what you said he said it's more for the parent to have the child walking around in a Shamrock Rovers track to or a Dunbar track to than it is for the child because the child is probably enjoying the little bit of adulation and the social affiliation to the club but it's probably the parent who gets to stand in the local pub and say yeah Billy's going to scoring 2 again there today what a player he is. What what level is it Oh, under eight but he plays for Dundalk, or he plays for Shamrock for And that it that, that can be the issue as well. I think um I I always used to joke about it, um in relation to when I was coaching kids, I coached in America and coached with, with, with other youth clubs as well in terms of six under to under twelve. And I used to joke about it saying, you know, it spent the best part of ten years coaching kids because the only children that I ever came across were the parents and the parents are they can be so good um, but they can be toxic as well at times to be honest with you and if you don't get them in at the start and educate them then you're going to have a long season you're going to have difficult times with parents involving themselves trying to tell players how to play trying to tell them what they should do and really impacting on it you know and it, it's the, the the whole thing like you know it's a uh, piano uh, instructor was giving a child lessons would you be shouting at the child while he's giving them to them so why are you doing it with a football player you know or a soccer player Gaelic? Like, you know be whatever it may be
0: yeah I think at that level and at every level in my opinion you should be out enjoying it first of all and if you're not enjoying it have a look at it and think figure yeah. out why you're not enjoying it and try and bring it back to that, and then once you're enjoying it, you'll you'll want to be better, and that'll help you grow. But if you're going out and you're hating getting up for training, or you don't want to go training because it's raining, and you don't want to go to a match, and have a look at it, think why am I enjoying it? What can I change that's going to make me want to play? And if yeah. you're not enjoying it, find something else that you might enjoy. There's no harm in that. Absolutely not. Yeah, so that brings us up to just over an hour there. So, if okay, yeah. any teams that are listening want to get in contact with you, how can they find you?
1: Yeah, so you can get me on Twitter um, at James J Claffey um, Pride Psychology, or you can find me on Instagram as well at Pride Fitness. Um, it's a private account, so you'd have to request it, but do uh, do do contact that way or. Uh, James Claffey at gmail dot com so C L A F for Freddy F E Y at Gmail dot com. Um obviously as I said at the moment with clients and everything it's it's quite difficult but it's always always a good thing to maybe just send an email forth and see what it is that maybe is happening with, with people you know as I said clients sometimes come for different things I'd have even you know uh, 16, 17, 18 year olds coming where their parents just want them to become better at planning their week so that they can study uh, so there's, there's lots of different parts that go into it so don't maybe you know you don't need to assume that it's not for you or whatever it is um, but uh, obviously there's, there's something that can be improved for everybody you know
0: yeah, it's a good point. It's definitely applicable to everybody outside of sports and not just sporting-related things, like even people studying. It's mad how far it stretches. But what kind of drew, drew you to come on to the podcast and have a chat with us? And is there any other things you want to talk about now just before we start to finish up?
1: As I said, I obviously played with Mick for a long time. I have a lot of time for him. He's obviously back with yourself now as well. So... um. I hope he's enjoying it. His football. Uh, I, was, I spoke to him a, a while ago um, in relation to it as well. So I think what I didn't really, you know, get to within it is that you know you, we were talking about it kind of thing in text messages with the idea of motivation and what's motivating us. Um, and I guess really uh, during the summer is kind of you know we speak about missing something. You sort of spoke about how. Actually, getting rid of the game, you start to enjoy training much more. I think maybe two or three years have passed where I, I hadn't played, and um, really at a level that was kind of, you know, uh, a decent enough level. And uh, going back to play this year has—it's uh, actually given—it's another kind of kick. It's given another boost, and you know, um, really enjoying playing still. I should be probably playing over thirty fives at this stage, but. Um, I have to say, I'm enjoying time in Avondale. As I said to you before, anyone who knows any team in Cork, they know Avondale. You know, and great club, great facilities. And to be honest, Richard, the lads have just taken me in, and um, really enjoying it down there. To be honest, which is still playing as, as much as anything else.
0: And you just plan on staying with Avondale, or would you fancy going over 35s, or what's your kind of plan now for football in the future?
1: Well, I mean, like I said, it's, it's still it. I think that was the challenge I think it was getting myself To a place where I was fit enough To go and play In the top division On a Saturday um, And so far So good Playing in most of the games Playing 90 minutes Every week So Yeah Still enjoying it Still, still doing it I don't think I would Go and play I think Looking at it not Maybe not at the moment um, Because It's still very competitive And as I said There's a lot of We've got a lot of good players at the team there, so being in that team is, is great. Uh, it's a great lift, you know, motivation wise as well. And like I said, my voice is very good in terms of she understands that the challenge that I want to achieve um, and yeah, re- really just enjoying still playing basically.
0: And how do you manage your time then when you're up in Dublin? You're up in Dublin four days, so how do you find time to keep fit and train?
1: Yeah, so obviously in the, in the college, we've got a gym there and. Um, if I get a chance, we can train with teams here up on a Tuesday. Um, and then maybe, as I said, it's, it is difficult to put on the Thursday evening. I'm driving down you're two hours, two hours and a half sometimes in the car in rush hour traffic, getting out of Dublin to, to get down and then train on a Thursday night is very difficult. So I'm getting out of the car, getting my gear on and, and going straight out onto an actual Thursday train with, with the, the lads at the Thursday evening. That that side of it is difficult, but I also understand that, like, you know, I'm wanting to play, it's not Mickey Mouse League either. You need to be training with the lads, and I think I'd like to think that the, the lads understand that and the coach understands that.
0: So, you're back playing at the moment, but you've just finished the UEFA A license. So, is there a chance in the future you might move into coaching, or is it just that you want to get more of an insight into the game? that hard work. It's some drive to be down in Dublin four days a week, working with clients then at night time, training on a Tuesday if you can, back up to Cork on a Thursday to train, and then you have probably Friday off, is it? Or Saturday off as well?
1: Saturday off, yeah, and then then getting yourself, as you said, you know, making sure that you're you're preparing like uh for the for the game on Sunday. And that's that's something where people go, Oh, you know, it's not it's not the Premier League or it's not. whether I was playing UCL, UCFL or I was playing for colleges down in Waterford with a very successful team or playing now Avondale or i in between with, with teams it, it's always been the same but you know I'm in it I'm in it and I don't actually go out mad on a Saturday evening if I have a game on Sunday morning. and I'm not, I'm not that age anymore either, you know. I've got, we've obviously, married and I've got other things that I, I kind of prioritise on the weekend. So that is the, the, the part of it, just being able to organise your week, as we said, and, um, yeah, getting down and then training, it can be difficult. But it's, it's also, as I said, I wouldn't be doing it if I
0: didn't really, really enjoy it. Yeah, well, that's. Uh, I think the key to most things is just enjoying it, whether it be work or sport or social life. Once you're enjoying yourself, everything seems to be happy days. <laughs> Finding the job you like, feels like you're not getting up yeah. for work, and then playing in a team where you enjoy the lads you're playing with and enjoy your game of ball on the Saturday, Sunday, Friday night, whatever you play, it goes a long way. Yeah,
1: 100%. And the la- Look, I, I won't keep it, but the last thing I'd say on that would be that... Um... I remember going to college at the time and a lot of my friends had good jobs, some were bricky, some were, and I remember we'd be going out the weekend and I'd be saying look I'm a student, I don't have money, they'd, have, you know, they'd be coming in with a serious income back then maybe, and I, 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 it's interesting you bring it up is that, you know, most Sunday evenings they would often be going, oh I can't believe it to go to work tomorrow, I don't really want to go, I don't blah blah blah. And all of that time, I was like, oh, looking all the college, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, and now, I'm actually in a really privileged position that sometimes I should probably, as you said there, say to myself, I'm lucky I have the job I have, and I'm very grateful that I do as well.
0: Yeah, so you appreciate it. And I think what you've been mentioning throughout the whole thing is that reflecting on the Sunday evening and looking after your week really, really is needed. It's not just that it yeah. helps. It's, it's like, it's fundamental to planning a busy week especially a schedule like yours that's so busy but like for a coach who has maybe two sessions to plan a week and then a team to pick on Saturday there's a lot goes into that and taking a couple of hours out on a Sunday or even an hour or two just to sit down and maybe plan your sessions figure out what numbers you have up and that kind of stuff it would take a lot of of weight off your week
1: yeah yeah absolutely 100% and I think I think it is, as you said, if you can just plan, you give yourself a great chance then, but without planning, uh, something somewhere down the line is going to fall down.
0: Yeah, so just before we finish up, what would be the main advice you would give to a coach? What What are the takeaway points of this podcast?
1: Yeah, so as I said, um, make sure you've got a diary. Um, if you are a coach, regardless of the level, plan your sessions, get your numbers early. Uh, WhatsApp is fantastic for that. Obviously, these days, ins or out, um, ensuring that you do it. Um, you play the risk then of, if you've low numbers, maybe one or two more, say, well, look, there's only 10 going on. I'm actually going to say, I can't make it. But usually, if you've got... The team and you're doing things the the right way, i.e. planning your sessions and getting your numbers in and thinking in new training ways, but also making it fun and going back to where we started again, making you know things fun and training sessions. And if you do that, I think um, you have a great chance. Also, get yourself the diary, as I said. Uh, you, when you're making goals, try to use a SMART R principle. So make them specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, a time frame. Evaluate them as much as you can Because things will change You'll lose players You'll gain players And then just be willing To reset your goals Sometimes something you said Initially mightn't be might be there And it mightn't walk The way you once thought it did um, And and constantly You know Be upskilling And learning Look at other sports Like I said Real eye opener for me Learning about the likes Of the NFL With Vincent and Brady Or basketball With John Wooden And um, so there's
0: so much information that you can take from different sports and just bring them back to whatever sport it is you might be coaching. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's a very good summary of the podcast. And I, I'd really like to thank you for actually taking your time out to talk to us because I knew you were busy, but now talk about your schedule, I didn't realise <laughs> you were quite this busy. So, uh, no, one... yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad, no, I'm glad. Um, I'm delighted to do and I have to say as well, and
1: I hope this part goes into it as well, as that, the, the 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 show is actually fantastic. Um, yeah, obviously sometimes goes down little rolls it, it's a banter and all I think, but even um the the joke the, the South Park stuff with the Tucker jobs and stuff I I thought was very funny, you know. Um but you yeah, look, doing a great job and I think it is something that needs to be there. I think players and coaches and teams love that you're going out to the games and I think the effort that you have made to do that is huge, but also that people are actually starting to get a little bit of exposure. And am not in a not in an egotistical way, but just in a way that some teams are doing really well and some teams are putting in serious effort. And I think they do they do need to be kind of accredited that way. And you are doing a fantastic job to be fair to you.
0: Well thanks that I think I really appreciate that and um that goes back to the work the lads put in as well, Steve and Mick and Gaz, who's been on, and Larkin as well, as not a few times, and people behind the scenes who run the Instagram pages, the Twitters, and the Facebook. A lot goes on as well, but, like, we wouldn't do it if we didn't enjoy it. There's no money we're making out of it. It's just the crack we have doing it, and that's that's why we do it. There's no, like, monetary gain at all. It's just because we enjoy it, and if I didn't enjoy it, I'd just scrap it next week and that'd be it, like, but I, it's it's been a very enjoyable experience, and it's been a nice a nice year and a half now I'm glad to have Mick back because he knows his stuff and he's good he's to Shata. very good. very he's nice very guy good. as well so yeah. hoping he's, to uh, get
1: he's I've coached a uh, hell of a lot of players and he'd be up there in terms of you know most likeable out of the players that I've had you know and. Um, uh, top, just a, just the top guy, to be honest. So yeah, and 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 as you said, his knowledge of the all the different leagues, all the different players, and um, and then actual professional sport is knowledge based off that as well. It's terrific. Um, so yeah, it is good to have him back on board. But yeah, the, the show was fantastic. So keep keep going with it. Keep doing what you're doing because uh, it it certainly makes the drive up and down to Cork a little bit easier for the, the hour hour and a half each week.
0: <laughs> I'm glad I'm making your drive a bit shorter because that could be a horrible one out that N7 before you hit the M8. Like, yeah, it, can it can be, be. a killer. It can
1: be indeed. Great.
0: Well, um, thanks for your time anyway. And I hope to maybe someday when you're not so busy in the summer, you might come on the podcast for a chat with a lot of us.
1: Absolutely. I'd love to do that. I'd love to do that.
0: So that was the interview with James Claffey. And again, i just like to thank him for the time he took out of his very busy schedule to have a chat with us. I hope that was beneficial to coaches at our level. And when I say our level, it's the amateur game, but it's definitely applicable to coaches at a professional level as well, coaches at all levels. And that's why I really, really enjoy talking to James. I think that there's a lot to take away from this episode and I really hope coaches in particular took a lot from it. If you did enjoy it, send us a message, comment, like, share, subscribe, at Mixer Podcast on Instagram, at Mixer Podcast, on Twitter. And our Podcast on Facebook. You will find us. Don't be affa- afraid to comment, like, or send us a message. We'll chat back with you. It takes a while to see the messages, but we will definitely get back to you. Um, just James's Twitter again is James J Claffey on Twitter if you want to get in touch with him. And he mentioned his Instagram earlier. So next week I'm going to be in the studio with Steve and Mick, hopefully, if he comes back. But... We should have a few interviews lined up, aiming to get out to Rosemont Mulvey and to see if their pitch isn't called off. We'll definitely get interviews out there. We're gonna try and talk to Sacred Heart as well, their new managers really turn things around. And we're looking forward to that episode too. So join us again next week for another episode of the Mixer. Thanks very much for listening.